Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Tonight, as I share this message, that this is not necessarily for everyone in the room. You know, like there is a, a specific group of people that I am talking to tonight, and I, I just want to really share a message with the people that have had times in their life where they have struggled with their faith. Um, for those of you where your life has been perfect and nothing has ever gone wrong, and it, you have just blissfully moved from one season into the next, I'm so glad that you're here. By the way, if you could pray for the rest of us um, after the service, we would just appreciate your prayers. Just lay hands on and do some kind of impartation of your perfect life onto the rest of us. Because for, for many people, uh, they, that has not been their experience. And, and maybe you haven't had that experience, but you know what I always say? I say that you are one experience away from having your faith seriously challenged. And if you have never had your faith seriously challenged, you've never had a season of doubt creeping into your life, that's okay. I, I repeat, you're just still one experience away from having that. And for a lot of people, they will have a, an experience that will challenge them profoundly. Now, some of you have had this, and some of you have not had this, uh, but either way, I think you're going to get something out of it. And so I want to preach a message to you tonight called Unfinished. I'm going to jump straight in, and I'm going to read to you out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It begins in verse 11. It says, He talking of God, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He's making everything beautiful in its time. I've noticed that God's time and my time are different time. Like he's making stuff beautiful in his time. And I would love to talk to God about his timing. Because we have different time. I, I know the schedule that I would like him to have, where I would like him to make things beautiful in my time. But the truth is, we just have different time. About 12 months ago, I, I, I actually, I got a kidney infection. And I would not wish this on my worst enemy. It was legitimately one of the most painful things that I'd ever experienced. And so I went into hospital. And, uh, and anyway, they gave me some medication. But about a week later, it happened all over again. And I had another one, I had to go back. And the doctors were kind of a little bit concerned about why this would happen twice in a row. So they said, you know what we want to do? We want to do some blood tests on you. And we just want to make sure that everything is okay. I said, all right. So I went into the doctors after they'd taken my blood. They said, we have your results. Why don't you come in? I said, all right. And as I came in, they said, now look, we've been measuring a few things that we want to talk to you about uh, one of these things is we want to measure your PSA levels. I didn't know what that was. I said, they said, we want to measure your PSA levels, and, and, and they're, they're a little bit high, and, we, and I think you should go see a specialist. I said, what would that mean? Like, what would I have? He goes, well, I don't want to talk about that. So, so I think it's just better if you go see the specialist. So I went home, and I, and I heard something, but I, I didn't want to Google my results because then I thought I'll probably think I'm going to die. And, and so I didn't want to be, I don't, I don't go to Dr. Google, everybody, it doesn't help. And so I, did, I decided not to do that. So I had to see the specialist and I had to, you know, send through my results early so that they could see them when they make the appointment. Now I called up the receptionist 
and I said to her, so I need to come in and, and, and meet the doctor. And she says, yes, I can see that. Yep, I've got your results here. And she goes, oh, wow, yeah, okay, so I can see, yeah, your PSA levels are, are really high. And I said, yeah, they are. And, and I asked her a question that in hindsight was probably a really bad idea. And I, and I said to her, I said, yeah, my levels are high. Um, could you just tell me, what does that mean? And she said, it means you have cancer. And I said, I really didn't expect you to say that. And she said, yeah, that's what that means. And I said, <clears throat> I said, well, I don't know. Um, can you talk to me about, I don't know what it means. So what does your PSA levels mean? And she kind of fumbled around a little bit. And she said, oh, just, it's, it's about your levels and it means that they're high. And I'm like, yeah, I know we did that. <laughs> you've, you've already said that. Um, what I'm asking you to do is to tell me what those levels are because I don't know what it is and I don't know how to measure it. And I, I, and I don't know how to understand that. And she said, well, it just means that it's serious and, and, that, and, and that you probably need to come in. I said, okay, all right, so, so I'll come in. So I went in a sort of specialist and, and the specialist said to me, gets out my results and they're pretty candid, like they don't, work, they don't mess around. And, and so I'm sitting there and he says, okay, so let's have a look here. I see your results. Yep, they're definitely too high. And he says, well, here's where you are. And he, and he showed me this other number and he said, and, and, and here's where you need to be. And I said, okay. I said, so... I don't know anything that you're talking about. Tell me this, right? The levels obviously have to come down to be within this normal range. But tell me, if they're just over that mark, what does that mean? And he said, that means you have cancer. I said, okay. I said, all right, well, I've got to get this down. He said, look, we're going to monitor it, but we just have to, we're going to take your blood in a couple of months. And we'll make sure that it's okay. A couple of months, right? So a couple of months, I'm, I'm thinking about this, and they said, look, what we'd really like to do is we, we want to make sure that, that you go and, and get some extra tests, so we're going to send you into the hospital in, in the city, and you can go have a, um, you know, a few procedures or whatever. And, and so I was on my way into the city, and I thought to myself, because, you know, when you hear, there's a couple of words that you can hear in life that will make you feel some weight. So, so cancer is one of them. And so I, I decided I'm, I'm getting on the train, I'm, I'm, I'm headed, I'm on my way in, and as I'm... Um, Driving in, I, I think, well, you know, I'm going to listen to an, uh, a book on Audible. That would be good just to listen to. I need something really faith-filled, you know. So I downloaded a book from a great author, and, and I, I've been wanting to read this book for a little while. And I just thought, oh, I'm just going to listen to it, right? And so I, I, I put my, my earphones in, and I'm not even joking. On the way into hospital that day, the chapter, chapter one of this book begins like this. As I write this book, I may not finish it. I have just learned that I have prostate cancer and I may not finish this book and I'm thinking about my life. And I was like, well, that was the wrong book for me to listen to. Have you ever seen a book like that? Hands up if you've ever read a book that opened with that as the first opening paragraph. I've never read anything like that. Sometimes we think God is speaking to us. I'm like, you had better not be speaking to me right now, you know? Let this be coincidence. Anyway, so, so I go in and, and, and I had to have more blood tests. So, so I go in and I have some blood tests and, and they come back uh, and, and, and they're, they're not really good. And this happens for a little bit. So, so along the way, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a Bible-believing, faith-filled, Holy Spirit-filled, you know, preacher of the Word of God. I believe in miracles and, and I've got this thing that's happening that is kind of serious. So I'm kind of wrestling through it. And, and believing for the best, but I haven't seen the results yet come back in the paperwork. So anyway, 
um, I remember that the spiritual attack really begins. And I thought, you know what? The levels are high. There's, there's some medical reasons that could explain why the, the levels are high. And then I heard a seed. It was the, you know, when the enemy wants to give you a lie, he'll give it to you in seed form and allow your imagination to begin to water it. So he comes to me and he says to me, hey, but what if, now that's a dead giveaway that the enemy is speaking to you. He says, but what if the reason why you had the kidney infection was so that they would do the blood test so that they would find the cancer. Maybe God's grace in this situation is him allowing you to go through that so they would find this. And so really they're going to catch it in time and I started to think about that. I thought, what if that actually is true? Now that seed began to take root in my heart and I started to think about it, but, I, but I'm still praying into this and, and all the rest of it. Now I'll tell you right now, there have been a couple of times in my life where I could genuinely and honestly tell you that the enemy has spoken directly to me as if I've almost heard an audible voice. I was with my wife, we were at a family function and I met her uncle who was over from the UK. We were having a great conversation and I said, um, he said, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a pastor, a leader church. He said, oh, he says, I have a relative that's a pastor. I said, do you? He said, yes, he's been pastoring his church for 30 years. And I was thinking, wow, that's great, 30 years. But before I can even finish that thought, I hear a voice that speaks straight to me and it says, you will not pastor your church for 30 years. You're going to die young and your children will grow up without a father. And that's a heavy thing to hear. And it's almost like it sucked the joy right out of the room and, 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 and made me almost like I've got to catch my breath. Like it's almost like an out-of-body experience. And so I'm, I'm hearing these words and, and I have to go back and get more blood tests. So I, I go back and, and this is right before I leave to go on a three-week holiday in Canada to really enjoy myself and relax. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that they're going to come back and they're going to say, hey, you're all good. It's you know, there's nothing there and it's okay. I come and I see the doctor and he says, look, he said, you're not there. He said, it's looking better, but it's not there yet. So we're going to have to do another test in about three months. He says, the next one's really important because if you don't get through this, he said, then we're going to have to start to move forwards in other ways. I said, okay. So I come back and this is happening in March and I have a blood test and the results come back and I'm just collecting the results from the GP. So I go in and I'm sitting in the doctor's room and, uh, in, you know, in the waiting room. And I'm waiting for my name to be called. And I'm full of faith. And I really believe in miracles, right? But I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you the truth that my heart was beating. And it was beating a little faster than normal. Because I'm about to find out either something serious or something that's going to be really relieving me. And I know that I'm the only one in the room that ever gives himself a good talking to. And, 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 and that's, I'm okay with that. But I told myself, I said, hey, you pull yourself together. This is going to be okay. You know, God's with you and, and, and all the rest of it. But I can't lie. My heart's still beating fast. So they call my name and I stand up. Now, I'm like kind of okay at reading body language. So I see this guy and I'm trying to get a read on him. And I'm like, is this the face of a man who's going to tell another man that he has cancer, right? And I'm looking at him 
And I'm thinking about it. My heart's beating a little bit faster as I walk across the room. We get in, we sit down, and I'm thinking, uh, please, God, just let him say that it's all good. So he says, I've got your results here, and, and I've got good news for you. I said, oh, great. He said, well, the number that we were looking to come down, it has come down. I said, that's great news. He said, yes. He said, but there's this other number that we have got to pay attention to. And he says, I haven't really even talked to you about this. I'm like, well, what is this now? And he says, well, well, this points to something that could be kind of serious. I said, well, so what do I do? He says, well, I can't interpret the results. You're going to have to go back to see the specialist. I'm like, okay. So I go back to see the specialist. And, and for the second time in the same week, I'm sitting in another doctor's surgery and, and I'm waiting. And again, my heart is beginning to beat. And it's beating a little bit faster, you know. And so the specialist comes out and he calls my name. My heart seems to beat a little bit faster. And I'm looking at this man second time in the same week. I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, is this the face of a man who's going to tell another man that he's got cancer? And, and so I'm looking at him. I'm trying to get a read on him. And, and so I go in and I sit down. And, and as I'm sitting down, here's what I'm hoping the guy is going to say. I'm hoping he's going to say, look, GPs, they're not specialists. They don't understand how to interpret this stuff. I've looked at your results. There is no need to worry about this. You, you, you don't have cancer. You don't even need to be here. You can go home. And so I sit down and the guy looks at me and he looks at the results and he goes, okay. And he takes a deep breath and I'm like, stop, just get to the point, you know. And so I'm looking at him and he goes, okay. GPs don't really understand how to interpret this stuff. They're not specialists. They don't know. To be honest, I don't even really know why you're here. You, I can guarantee you, you absolutely don't have cancer. You are free to go home. You should not give this another thought. I was like, praise God. You know, and I was so, I was so pumped about that. And, and for the first time in eight months, I felt like I could finally, that, that it was done and, and the season was over. And, and, that, and that was just my story. You know, that was my story. Um, I love stories. I love, I love, I love good endings. I love happy endings. You know, I, I, I would sit down sometimes. I blame Disney's, Disney for this, okay, to be honest. Because when I would sit down and watch movies when I was a kid, you know, uh, uh, Aladdin, he, he does marry Jasmine and the genie gets free and everyone's happy, okay? And, and it's good, you know? And, and I'll be honest, like Disney movies, they're written to end well. I'll be watching movies with my kids. Like, I'll tell you the truth. They say confession is good for the soul. So I'm just going to tell you the truth right now. I cried in Frozen. Because, yeah. And I did. And, I, and, and you know what? And, and so I'm like, you know why? Because in the end, love melted everything that was frozen. And anyway, the point is, so, and, and, and sometimes I'll be like, this is so beautiful, right? And, and, and I'll look at my kids and they're just sitting there deadpan. And I'm like, what is wrong with these emotions? Where, where are their emotions, you know? And it's me that gets emotional about it. And, and, and so anyway, I, I, I love stories. I love the way that Disney ends their stories, but our stories don't always necessarily end like Disney stories. And so the story that I told you, that's just my, that's just my story. But everyone's got a story. And some stories are more difficult than others. And, you know, some stories, many of them we have that are just totally unexplained. There used to be a series out on TV. It was called Cold Case. I don't know if you ever saw it. Uh, hands up if you saw Cold Case, if you know what I'm talking about, right? So if you don't know, Cold Case was a series about this detective that would find cases that haven't been solved. And because they couldn't solve them at the time, they collect all the evidence, but then they just store them. 
And her job was to go and to break these cold cases and re-look at the evidence. I've discovered that people do this with their lives. I've discovered that when there is a set of circumstances that are hard to interpret or you have no closure on it and you don't understand why it happens, when, the, when, it, when you couldn't make sense of it, what people do is that they just begin to shelve those cases in their life, just the unexplained things. A cold case is an unexplained tragedy or sad circumstance in your life that seems to have, that just doesn't make sense. And I'm kind of a logical person. So to be honest, if I could make sense of why something has happened, then generally speaking, I'm okay with it because I see purpose in it. And if I can see purpose in it, I can live with it. I'm like, I get it now. I understand. But the truth is our lives are filled with stories where you have no closure. You cannot make any sense of it and you have no idea why that has happened. I remember what it was like when I was a new Christian. When I was a new Christian, um, a lot of my prayers were answered with yeses. Have you, have you ever noticed that? That when people are new Christians, they just seem to get yeses like all the time and they tell you about it and they think that God is great. Like if, if you're a new Christian, you could go to Knox Shopping Center and find a car park at Christmas time and you pray for it and it's like God parting the Red Sea. You say, and I drove in and I prayed and someone came out and I parked right in there and God is so good. You know? And they see God in all of this stuff. If, you, if you're a new Christian and you don't have a good job right now, you should pray for one because new Christians, it's like God just moves heaven and earth so that they could experience some blessing. I genuinely think that God does it to encourage people. New Christians, they'll do things like, you know, they'll, they'll, open, they'll flick open their Bible and they'll just say, God, speak to me. And then they'll just point at some scripture and they'll look at it and they'll it'll be, and I will bless you and I will bring money into your bank account and you will have perfect health and your life will go well and you will find the one joke and you will, you know, and, 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 so, and so you read that and we always tell people, if mature Christians, never ever do that because you could get anything. This is not a good way to choose the Bible verse for your life. You know, you, if you've been doing this for a couple of months, you'll discover, you'll open the Bible one day and you'll go, that's it. And you'll look at it and it says, and I will smite thee. And you're like, oh, no, that's not for me. Uh, and you have to read about five chapters to begin to find something that actually fits your life, you know? So we say, hey, just be smart. Don't do that, all right? So don't, don't just flick and try to find something. You can be a little more strategic than that. But the thing is, is that new Christians, they, they get these answers all the time. And when they do, they, they say, you know what? God is so good. Man, He's so good. Look at just how He's blessing me. And they determine God's goodness by His blessing, which works really well sometimes, but it doesn't always work well. You know, when I, when I took over this church to begin to pastor it, um, after a couple of months, we lost our building, which is a significant challenge to churches that don't have money and nowhere to go. And it was a terrible experience. And I remember in that experience, I was like, God, I have just taken over. Like, can a guy get a break? Help me just a little bit. And I had this idea like, God, what are you doing? You're not helping, right? Well, then, you know, 12 months later, we found this building, incredible blessing. Like I'm telling you, pastors were jealous of what we were going, was going on here. And, and, and everything began to work out. We built this place incredibly cheap, you know, and, and it was amazing. Just all the blessings that came in. And then I was like, oh, now I see what you were doing. You actually are really good. You know? Some people live like that, like, when they're getting blessed, they're like, you are really good. And when they're going through a hard times, they're like, 
there's something wrong with you, God. Like, why aren't you listening to me? And you know what's really sad is when God's character goes on trial, depending on the seasons and the challenges and the blessings that are happening in your life. It's like we just put him on trial and say, God, we're trying to decide what kind of God you, you really are. And, you know, he does bring blessings into our life. But I, I have questions. Many of you have had questions. I have questions. Like, I think, God, thank you for blessing us for our building. But, and, and I appreciate that. And that's awesome. But why do you not heal some people of cancer and they die? And we buried one last year. And why do some people have to walk through significant tragedy in their life? And why do some people have a husband that leaves them? And why can't some people have children? And why do some people miscarry babies? And why does this stuff happen? It's like, God, sometimes you're doing really good stuff and then we kind of don't know what you're doing. And God, the stuff that we're praying for, and I've prayed for a lot of stuff because I'm a pastor of a church. So I get a lot of prayer requests. I get the emails. I see the notes, you know, and so I see them. So we pray for a lot of stuff and some stuff happens and stuff, stuff doesn't. And I would say a lot of the stuff that we're asking for is good. We often want a yes. We live in an age where we can get almost anything that we want. We are a microwave generation. You can get it. You can get what you want. You can get it when you want it. Like if, if you want to buy stone fruits in winter, you can do it. Some of you are like, why is that even good? Because they're in summer. And you're, and, and you're like, oh, that, that actually is pretty good. You can get what you want when you want it. Here's the cool part. We, we live in an age where not only do you get what you want, but if you ask Coles and pay the money, they'll actually deliver it straight to you. They'll even bring it to your door. We get what we want, when we want it, around, and it's, and it's always around fulfilling what we want in, in our hearts, and, and we get it. We, we can organize it, you know, and, and we can get it delivered to us. Oftentimes, God doesn't deliver to us exactly what we ask for. And when God doesn't deliver to us exactly what we ask for, sometimes it becomes a significant challenge because I've seen people's trust get broken when it felt to them like God was withholding something that He could give them. And they say, God, this is actually a good thing that I'm asking for. I know you could answer my prayer. You're not answering my prayer. Why are you withholding good things from me? I'm not so sure that I can trust you. And if you've ever come to that place where you're really not sure about who, who God really is, that is a scary place to be. And I'll tell you something. Fear is fertile ground for doubt. And doubt will cause a loss of vision in your life. Because what begins to happen is people start to look at God through, it's almost like they put on glasses, the glasses of their experience, and they begin to look at God through the lens of their experience, and it begins to obscure the character of God, like they can't quite see Him clearly. And if you can't quite see God clearly, that's going to be a major challenge for you in your life. Because if you can't see Him clearly, you don't even know what to ask for anymore. And I've seen people begin to settle for less than God's best because they had a circumstance that obscured their vision for God. And they said, I'm not so sure I could pray for that. So they begin to aim lower, aim at a level that they think God will really be able to answer them. That is a scary place to be. 
And you know what I honestly think? I think that there is a spirit of fear that will look for moments like this in your life. The cold cases, the things that you don't understand, the things that never make sense, and they look for cold cases and they look for an opportunity to bring them up again and say, hey, you remember what God didn't answer you then? And why did this happen in your life? And God could have healed you. And God could have healed your sister. And they could have cured that person. And, and, and so they bring up these cold cases in the hope to sow seeds of doubt that your imagination will begin to water. And it's a horrible thing to see happen to people. And yet it happens all the time. And it significantly damages people's faith. Now, I, I know that this happens. So along my journey and experience, I began to pray to God and I said, God, I said, I know that I don't actually have closure on anything that's happening right now. I'm in the middle of it. I don't understand it, right? So I pray right now that you give me a clear picture of who you are because the most important thing that I could do right now is begin to pray into this situation and I wanna know what to ask for. So let me see you clearly so I can begin to pray boldly. Because if you can't see clearly, then you will not pray boldly. You don't even know what to ask for. So I said, God, don't let me lose any vision. I want to see who you are. Make sure that my circumstance doesn't come across my eyes. Let me see you and I'll pray accordingly. So I begin to pray into my circumstances. Well, I'll tell you something. About three months into just trying to discover all the stuff that was going on in, in me, in my, in my own life, in my own journey, I had a phone call that came from my wife and I said, Hey, how you doing? She said, well, I'll be honest, I'm not doing well. I said, what are you doing? She said, well, I can't feel my arms. They've gone numb, so I'm on my way into, into the emergency room. I said, well, you sound like you're headed to the right place. And I left work and I went straight in there. And I sat by a bed and they were doing all these tests and running everything that they could. And we didn't know what was going on. And so later that night, the neurologist comes in he says, we're trying to figure out what's going on, but I'll be honest, I'll tell you what we're really testing you for here. It's either migraines or you have had a stroke or you've got MS. And so we're testing for these. Now, I won't lie. I didn't like any of those three options. And when you have a loss of vision, you start to think, should we pray for the migraines? Is that what we want it to be? Like out of those three, if I have to choose out of those three, is that what I should be asking for? Oh God, let it be the migraines. But I'm like, I'm not praying that it's any one of those things because when you're a Bible-believing, Spirit-filled Christian, you look at the three options and say, I'm having none of it. I don't want any of this to be true. I'm going to begin to pray for some healing, but we don't even know what the results are. So anyway, I, I go back home uh, and... and my, my kids are with my parents and so now I'm sitting at home and it's just me staring at a blank TV that's not on. The house is quiet and I'm starting to think. Now, I'll tell you the truth about me. Um, there is a reason why they never let me lead worship 
and, and do anything creative in, in, in this space on platform. Like I'll never, I'm never going to lead us in worship. Well, let's not say that. Like, I mean, it could happen, right? But, but, but generally, they ask me not to, okay? And, and, and so, but I tell you, I am actually very creative. I mean, I have a very creative imagination. It just flows through in different ways into this church. So I'm quite creative. So I'm sitting at home, and I'm beginning to think about all of the things that I've just heard and about what I should pray for. And there are seeds of doubt that have been sown in my life for my own experiences, let alone the stuff that's happening with Sarah. And so now it's all come together and I'm starting to pray and I'm starting to entertain situations and circumstances and I'm looking down the possibilities of various futures and I'm saying, God, but if that happens and how would this work and what would my kids think? And imagine if they grew up without this or without that or, you know, like, and I'm starting to imagine, I tell you, that's not, that's a bad place to be. And, and, and the implements of my torture, honestly, uh, not just on this night, but on other nights, were pots and pans. And not just because I hate the dishes. I do hate doing the dishes. But pots and pans, because I, there were so many times where the kids would be in bed and Sarah would be somewhere else, and I'm just washing pots and pans, and I'm just thinking. You ever do that? Like, you just get into a space where your, your mind is just, it's almost like in a state of idleness. So it's like... I'm just staring out into nothing. Now, now when, when your mind is idle, right, it's like anyone can ca- come in and take the wheel and drive, you know, spiritually speaking. You're not actually forming any thoughts or making a decision about what to think about. You're just kind of like going wherever your mind or your imagination takes you. I mean, having an idle mind is like driving your great new car to a bad area of town, opening the door, leaving the keys in and the engine running and saying, please, anyone drive this vehicle. And I've discovered that spiritually, things will come in and they'll take the wheel of your car and they'll say, let's go here and let's go there. And your imagination begins to go down to places and areas that you really don't want to go. And it starts to imagine and entertain all kinds of things. There is a reason why people say, that an idle mind is the devil's playground. Because at any point, the enemy can just come in and begin to try to take your mind in the wrong direction. And so I'm you know, sitting there on that night and I thought, you know what? I said, I can't just let my imagination run wild. I got to start to make a decision about what I'm going to think about. I'm going to decide what I choose to think about. And when you start to decide what to think about, you should end that in a confession of what you believe to be true about what you're thinking about. In other words, you say, well, I know what I've heard, but I know what I believe, and I begin to confess. And I feel like for some of you, for some of you, you need to not just live with an idle mind where the enemy of your soul comes in and begins to take your mind to dark places, but you need to start to make a decision about what you believe and where you think your mind should go. And you start to prophesy and you start to make a declaration over what's really going to happen in your life. I know what I heard, but here's what I say to it. I know what they said, but here's my confession. A confession is when you outwardly express what you perceive to be true about God and your circumstance. And some of you would have a better state of mind if you made more confessions about who God is rather than just allowing the enemy to take you to a place where you don't ever want to go. And by the end of that evening, I'll tell you the truth. I was praying and I was saying, God, You are good and I know it and I believe it and I confess it. And when I said it, I meant it. I believed it. 
I said, God, you're good and, 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 and I trust you. you. You can't put God on trial every time you don't get what you want. It doesn't even make sense. Some of you pray for competing things. How's God supposed to make both of you happy? People do that all around the world. It's not the yes that you get for all of your desires that confirms the goodness of God. And while we're on the subject, if you're going to hold God responsible for all the things that happen in your life, then please, for the love of God, at least be consistent in your approach. Let me explain what I mean to you. Why don't you begin to thank God for the sickness that you never got? Why don't you begin to thank God for the circumstance you never faced? And see, this is the problem with this because you'll never know what didn't happen because God was there and you don't know about it. So you don't thank Him for it. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's inconsistent. It doesn't make sense to just approach God in one way. You begin to, some of you that, that are here tonight, you shouldn't even be here. Some of you should have died and you never did because it never happened and it never happened because God stepped in. At least start to thank Him for all the blessings that He's began to bring into your life. See, what I'm telling you tonight is that you can live with unanswered questions and know that God is good. And you know that God is good because He says it in His Word. And you know that God is good because He tells you that He loves you. Now, when God tells you that He loves you, some of you have been into a season of doubt where you're not sure if you can believe what you're even reading anymore, but you don't need to just believe what you read because when Jesus came from heaven to earth, He didn't just say, I love you. He came down from heaven and proved it. And that is an event that is locked in history that will always testify that God loves people that are broken and full of mistakes and full of shame. Understand this tonight. Jesus was never obligated to go to the cross. He didn't have to do that. No one made Jesus do that. He did it because He loves people. And it is evidenced because He went to the cross. If you don't know what the gospel of Jesus is all about, it's good news because God loves you. And if you are here tonight and you are far from Him and you think, well, I don't know about me, He died for people exactly like you. He died for you. And we don't have to think about it anymore because we know what He did. And my point to you tonight is that God is always good even when life isn't. He is always good even when life isn't. And many of you are going to have experiences that are going to try to contradict everything that I'm saying. And when you do, when you have that experience, I want you to think about the cross. Every time you're challenged, I want you to go back to the cross and say, no, it's, I know He loves me. If he didn't love me, he wouldn't have done that. Most, most people, they have a goal in life to be happy. Now, I know, I know if I got you up here and I said, hey, what's your goal in life? None of you would say to be happy because, come on, that's not spiritual. And you know it, and you know the answer, so you're not going to say that, right? But quick survey, is there anyone here that does not want to be happy? You know? Is there anyone here that says, man, I just, just love some tragedy. Oh, it'd be so great if my life took a downward spiral. I've been really hoping for a season of depression where I could just like, 
isolate myself and feel depressed about everything that's going on. Like, if my life could go in that direction, I would just love it. That would be so good. No, no one in here is thinking that because somewhere we all want to be happy. We have a goal like, I want to be happy. You want to be happy. Here's what I've discovered about God. He has different goals to us. And sometimes we want to be happy. And it's not like God doesn't want us to be happy, but He has a more important and overarching goal to grow you in a way that happiness and happiness would not deliver the kind of growth that God wants to bring into your life. Some of you have had mountaintop experiences in life. I mean, new Christians get this, you know, first couple of months, car parks, everything. Life is so good and God is so good, right? You have mountaintop experience. And if you ever had a season in your life where everything has just worked out great, you're like, nobody move. Nobody move. The kids are happy. We have good jobs. Nobody move. Don't do anything. Our bills are paid. Church is good. Not fighting with my friends. I'm dating the right person. Nobody move right? And so you want to stay there. And everyone wants to have perfect mountaintop experiences all the time. Let me teach you something tonight. There is a reason why farms are never found on the mountaintop. Because nothing grows up there. It is breathtaking and it's impressive and it's fantastic, but nothing grows there. If you want to find where stuff really begins to grow, you got to go back down the hill to the valley. And it's in the valley experience of your life that God begins to cultivate and He begins to grow the right stuff to grow you and shape you into the person that God wants you to be. Let me tell you something that James said about trials. He said this in James chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. Now, steadfastness is like this patient, relentless resolve in your heart that God is good and I'm not moving from this place. It produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Now, trials are not punishment. But emotionally, they feel identical. They feel exactly the same. The experience could be identical. But trials, they're not God punishing you. They're not God trying to bring bad stuff into your life so that you'll become the kind of person. He, he uses stuff that's in your life, but He's not trying to punish you. He's not trying to destroy your life. Listen to what Paul the Apostle says. Now, I think about what Paul the Apostle says. I don't know about you, but when Paul says something, it carries great weight in my life. And not just because he wrote a lot of the New Testament, but because I can see what he went through in life. See, it, see, see if my kids talk to me about trials, it normally means that they can't figure out how to turn the Xbox on. <laughs> the PowerPoint was turned off. It's just tough. So when my kids tell me that stuff is bad, that means one thing. When Paul tells me something is bad, it means another. This is what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. He says, so we don't lose heart. He says, though our outer self is wasting away. Man, I've seen the outer self of people waste away. I've seen people walk through horrible things. I have physically seen Things take their toll on people so that their outer self is wasting away. And I'll tell you what's really sad. It's not just when their outer self 
wastes away, but their inner self is affected by it. But Paul says, we don't live that way. He says, our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, when Paul says light and momentary affliction, it's normally pretty serious. But he says it's light. And he says it's light because he's thinking about something beyond the experience that he's presently having. And he says, this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, those things are eternal. See, everyone's got a story. Even the apostle Paul, he has a story too. And so God, he is making everything beautiful in its time. He's making something beautiful that will last for eternity. And a lot of us would be happy to settle for something that looks beautiful this week or maybe beautiful this month and we want it to be really good right now. He says, I've got a bigger overarching goal. I'm going to make something beautiful that lasts forever. And so he's doing a different work, a deeper work. And right now the thing just looks unfinished. And when it looks unfinished, you get discouraged. But God is doing something oftentimes. He's doing it greater than a greater thing than you can imagine. Some of you, like some of you just crazy Christian people have said things like, God, shape me. Just, just the crazy ones. Or how about this? Some, some of you really radical Christian people have said, mold me. Or I'm yours. If you went, if you decided to get really crazy, you said, use me however you want. And so God often does listen to your prayers and He says, oh, this is so good. I've been waiting for you to say this, right? So then He begins to do the shaping. So the putter comes and He begins to shape the clay. And when He begins to shape it, let me tell you, it's, it hurts a lot more in the shaping than it did when you were doing the speaking. See, when you said shape me and mold me and take me and use me, and God says, great, the words were easy and you're excited at the time, but when the shaping comes, you're like, oh, I didn't think it was going to be like this. I didn't think it was going to feel like this. I'm not sure if I want the shaping. And I tell you, this is a really sad thing, but some people, they begin the process, but they don't, they're not steadfast and they don't see it through and they don't get everything out of that experience. I'm telling you that shaping can be painful. So you got to find a way to deal with it. I'll tell you how I dealt with it. In that time in, in, in my life during this season, in the last 12 months, my alarm goes off at 6 a.m. and I get up. I mean, the alarm happens, boom, I'm out of bed. And I go into my office and, uh, and it's cold in the middle of winter, so I have a little heater and I turn it on and I get in front of it and I just begin to pray. Because I know that I'm not built to carry the weight of everything. So I have to give some things up because I know I can't do it. So I'll go in and I pray. And I want you to know that I think all of you are great and I love you all, but at the top of my list was my wife. And I would just pray for her, God. I want you to heal her. Let this be the day that I see the miracle, that I physically see what I have vision for in my heart. And I would just pray that prayer every single day. And here's the thing, like I would pray 
with 100% faith and choose to be shocked every single day it didn't happen. Now, I am either insane or I'm onto something. Because to have the same experience every day and not learn from it is I... No, it was appropriate to laugh. It's either that I'm just not growing and learning or I'm choosing and making a faith-filled decision. And so that's what I would do. I would just choose every day. I pray every day. I expect to see it. And you know, something really interesting began to happen. Because even though I didn't see everything that I was praying for, I didn't see everything that I was asking God for, I actually started to believe for it even more. And, and, and this, is, this is where it gets weird because I'm, I'm not seeing what I'm asking for, but my faith is growing and something is going deeper. And I had more faith every single day and I was believing more, but I was seeing less. And I'm telling you that God was doing some kind of work inside of me. And I thought to myself, I even thought to myself that it was strange, but I wasn't alone because I remember going to Sarah one night and she was getting some test results back the next day. And I said to her, I said, hey, sweet, tomorrow they're going to come back with some results. And it sounds like they may, they may have landed on what they think that it could be. I said, how are you feeling about it? Like, tell me the truth. Are you scared? And she said, nah. I said, really? She goes, nah. I said, why not? And she said, oh, I was praying a couple of weeks ago and God told me that it's going to be, it's, it's all going to be fine. I was like, my first thought was, why do you tell me that? That's something you tell your husband. And so she hadn't told me and she said, no, I'm going to be fine. And I said, okay, well, we started to talk about it. And she said, see, it really doesn't matter to me what they say. Because it doesn't matter what they find or what they say it's going to be. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what the paperwork comes back is. Because if God said it was fine, whatever they make it to be, I'm going to be okay with it because God said it's going to be fine. And so her faith wasn't dependent on the circumstance or the results that came back. What I was witnessing in her was a confession of her faith that was saying it was a declaration. She was saying, you know what? This is what I confess. This is what I believe to be true. It doesn't matter what they say. I'm saying it's going to be okay. And I saw it begin to shape and, and, and change her. And, and I listened to her and I was like, that's awesome. I mean, she had more faith than I did. And it was her that was going through the experience. See, my, my point is, is that valleys develop you. She might not have always had that, but she, but she does now. Valleys, they develop you and they're hard to go through, but hold on. And I've seen a lot of people hold on, but be full of fear. But you got another option. You can hold on and be full of faith. You can hold on and don't leave it. Listen to me. When you're holding on for a result, don't have your mind being idle in the process where the enemy can come in and take your imagination anywhere he wants to take it. When you're holding on, you're praying. You're making confessions. I'll tell you the truth. I was praying for stuff all the time. And sometimes I started to run out of words. And I was like, I feel like I've said it. 
Some of you have prayed the same prayers over and over and over again. And some of you have been praying a long time for the same thing and you can start to lose heart. Some of you have questioned, you say, God, I mean, am I using the wrong words? No, God understands. He gets it. He sees it. He knows everything that you've prayed for. He knows everything that you're going through. So let me tell you what I did. When I ran out of words, I just began to pray in the Spirit. Because when you don't know what to ask for, The Bible says that the Spirit will intercede with groanings that are too deep for words. And I'm like, well, I've come to the end of my words and I feel like I'm finished. But I know that sometimes when I feel like I'm finished, the Spirit's just getting warmed up. And so I began to pray. I began to speak. I began to prophesy over my own life. I began to pray in tongues. Do you know what it says? The Bible says that when you begin to pray in the Spirit, that it actually builds up your faith. So if you're low on faith, you should start to pray like that and begin to watch what happens. So you start to make a decision and it begins to end. And then after that, it ends in a confession. This is what I choose to be true. And I feel like some of you have gone through some of the most challenging stuff. I mean, really hard stuff. And you haven't known exactly what to do. You've actually, you've prayed. You've said, God, I don't even know where you are. Where are you right now? And if you have ever said that, I did too. Because it wasn't like a stop believing. I just, just wasn't getting the answers that I felt like I needed. I said, God, where are you? If you've ever felt like you're not sure where God is, there's something that you can do about it. You know what I, I would do? I I would go in and I'd, I had a song for my season. Have you ever had a song for your season? I'd begin to listen to some praise. I told you that they, they, don't, they don't let me lead worship, but I have led some of the best praise experiences that you will never see at 6 a.m. in my office at home. And I, I will sing and I, will, and I begin to praise God. And I had a song for my season. I had a song. Have you ever done that? Have you ever found a, because sometimes you get stuck and you're like, I'm not sure what to pray for anymore. And I, I don't know what I should be asking for, but you can have a song for your season. It's like a song that felt like it was just written for you. And, and it, it, begins, it begins to sing the words that you know that you need for your current season. And I had one of these songs. And so I would just listen to it over and over. I would get to the end and I'd just go back to the start of the song I never got sick of it I just kept listening to the same song over and over again I began to say the words Lord I'm not enough unless you come because I know I there's so much that I can't do I'm I'm not enough unless you come would you please meet me here in this moment would you meet me here again I'm not enough unless you come. Would you please meet me here again? And I began to say, not for a minute, not for one minute was I ever forsaken. When you don't get what you're asking for, sometimes it feels like God has forsaken you. But you should know something. God has never left you. God has never forsaken you. It says He collects your tears in a bottle. He he collects your tears. He hears every word. I want to, I just thought we should sing. I want you to stand to your feet. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.